Welcome back to Outdoor Adventures. Today we are shifting gears and you've got me and my brother Charlie Williams and we're going to be talking about Crabbing 101. So this is a beginner series, first episode. We'll talk about all kinds of different things on here, but we're going to start with crabbing because at the basics, crabbing is taking a crab pot or crab ring, putting something that smells in a way that would attract crabs and putting it at typically the bottom of a bay or estuary and checking it every so often and catching some crabs. So there's not that much to it. It's a great activity for kids. The cost entry level to get into crabbing is not that expensive. And it's something that we grew up doing as kids. And we can talk about that a little bit. Um, Charlie, what are your memories of crabbing? Well, before I get into it, um, are we going to do our musical guest? I think we have Tyler Childers here. Is that right? I don't even know who that is. Uh, I think he's going to do Nose to the Grindstone this morning. Tyler? <clears throat> oh, no, he's he's saying he's got a sore throat, so I think maybe next episode we'll have Tyler do a song for us. Um, so we'll just jump right into crabbing, I guess. Um, well, like you said, I mean, it's a super easy activity to get to or get into, really inexpensive. Um, that's probably what the draw was when we were kids. I mean, I got a lot of memories doing it. Um, yeah, it was um, miserable a lot of times on the Oregon coast, going out there crabbing. and um, But it was always a lot of good time together. And um, I don't know. There's always something very exciting about it as a kid, you know, throwing the pots in and, and the anticipation of, uh, you know, if you're going to get anything or not and then pulling them up. It was exciting every time. Yeah. And as kids, so when we were growing up, there wasn't a shellfish license required. So it really mm-hmm. didn't cost anything as long as you had some crab pots. So we always fished with what we called pots. So they, they weren't traps. They were really rings is what most people know them as, but we always called them crab pots. And we would typically go to the pier uh, in Yacoina Bay, which is the only, one of the only public piers that gets out there a little ways that I know of, and probably one of the best ones to actually be successful at crabbing. Um, and we would go around the dumpsters around the piers with an old wire coat hanger and pull out fish carcasses. So we would get sometimes lingcod, sometimes tuna, sometimes rockfish, salmon, whatever we could find in those dumpsters. We never had a plan to come with prepared bait as we were younger, you know? Mm -hmm. And we'd get out there. Uh, Eventually, we ended up investing in a hand truck that we got at a garage sale for $15. And we would load that thing up with... We had these Pepsi chairs that are in most of our crabbing photos. Um, All of our rings, usually a five-gallon bucket because you don't want to drop that in and get a little bit of water to wash your hands with or whatever. And we'd get out there and we'd set up our rings on the pier and we would crab, I mean, sometimes six to eight hours or so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. remember being out there all day. Yeah. Or we'd go at night and crab all night. So that's another nice thing about that activity is that there's no, you know, got to do it during daylight hours. You can do it 24 hours a day if you want to. Mm -hmm. So, And a good day on the pier, maybe you'd come home with four keepers. Uh, four Dungeness Keepers, you know? Yeah. And we'll go into some details of just the basics of that. But um, as we've 
I guess, matured in our crabbing techniques, we tend to now either rent a boat or go with a friend that has a boat. And we actually go out into the bay and that's improved our catch numbers dramatically. The last time we went, we went with Charlie and I went with two of his buddies from the uh, fire department and there was, so there's four of us on the boat and we got 48 crabs, which was our limit. So yeah, it was a good day. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's get down to the basics. So when you're thinking about going crabbing, like we say, good activity to take kids to get them excited about doing something outside you're going to see crabs in your in your ring or your trap no matter what. And there's going to be some crabs. You may not be able to keep them, but you're going to have some activity. So your initial investment is to go purchase rings or traps. The rings need to be checked more often than the traps. The traps, by design, the crabs can't get out once they get in, so you can leave them down in the water a little bit longer, let them soak a little bit longer. Um, and, you know, the investment on those is probably anywhere from $25 to $150 would be my guess if you want to go industrial type crab traps. Yeah. Uh, I would say get it the best gear you can afford to buy. Like we've talked on other things, the more you spend, the higher quality that you know crab pot or crab ring is going to be. You don't necessarily want the ones that look like they're made out of some sort of nylon netting. Mm-hmm. That's probably the low end, you know, aluminum ring that is super light. It's going to be hard to keep on the bottom. I remember times where we would put rocks in our uh, rings when the tide was maybe going out just mm-hmm. to try to keep them on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the nicer the gear you get, the better it is. But, I mean, you can always find crab... Uh, traps or rings or whatever on craigslist i mean they're always on there so if you don't want to spend much money you can get out there and start crabbing right away with uh, very little expense yeah that's a good point and you can pick them up at garage sales i remember buying mm-hmm. one for two dollars at a garage sale yeah and so um you know a resident shellfish license runs ten dollars uh, if you're a non-resident, it's $28. Now that's an annual license. So you can grab all year on that $10 license if you're a resident of Oregon. Um, and you can catch 12 Dungeness males per day. They need to be a minimum of five and three quarters inches. And that measurement is on the back of the crab and it goes between the two points. So there's a point on the very back side of the crab on each side. And you've got to be five and three quarter inches across that shell. And they, you can buy these crab measurement devices for like two, three dollars, and they're going to make that pretty simple for you and make it obvious. And we'll post some photos on that. Um, a, a dollar bill actually works as well, so you can put a dollar bill across to crab's back, mm-hmm. and it'll fit. But out there in the rain and wind, especially if you're using money. Probably not the best idea. Yeah. Yeah, that'll get waterlogged real quick. Yeah. And it's not point to point. It's the inside of the points, right? Exactly. You go right to the inside of the points. Yeah, and in Oregon, we also have these red rock crabs, and they used to be, I believe, no limit back when we were growing up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now it's 24 of any size or gender. So on the Dungeness crabs, you can only keep males. On the red rocks, you can keep males, females of any size. Now, historically, when we've crabbed, we only keep the larger red rocks because they're a harder-shelled crab than the Dungeness, so it's harder to get at the meat. And if you take those little teeny ones, it's really hard to get that meat out of those legs. Yeah, for sure. 
So, you know, as a licensed shellfish crabber, you can have up to three rings or pots per person. So when we went with Charlie and his two buddies, you know, we had 12 in total. Mm-hmm. And when we're out in the bay and we're setting all those crab pots down, I don't even think it felt like you had to wait. We were so busy setting, and then you're going around and pulling pots. Yeah. Yeah, with that many pots in the bay, it was constantly pulling stuff up. Yeah, and so for us, we like to go um, on the incoming tide. So we tend to check, look at a tide chart, figure out where you're going to be. I always look at wind, too, because we typically are in a fairly small boat, like a 12- to 14-foot boat. It's usually a rental or a friend's boat with maybe a 10-horse motor on the back of it. And so I don't want to be out there in, you know, three, four-foot swells with high chop. Um, not a good place to be in a small vessel. And so, you know, we we're, I would say the rain's okay. We're fair-weather crabbers in terms of wind, though. You've got to mm-hmm. watch that wind because that's going to create those waves. And so we typically will plan to go, let's say, two to three hours before high tide. So we're crabbing that entire incoming tide, waiting till high tide, which is the best time to crab right in the slack tide, right in between the tidal changes when everything settles down. That's when the crabs are most active. And it's amazing. Like you'll, you're kind of setting up for that maybe 40 minute window, but during those 40 minutes, you're going to catch the bulk of your limit. Oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, it gives you something to do while you're waiting for that time. So you're still pulling pots. So they say, you know, on rings, you need to soak about 20 to 30 minutes. And on the traps, up to 45 minutes is a good soak time. Now, now that we've changed our techniques as we've gotten older, we tend to use um, chicken just because the sea lions don't mess with the chicken as much as they do with the fish. Mm-hmm. And we, we've gone to the shad technique too. So we go and catch the shad on the Columbia. And for whatever reason, the sea lions don't seem to mess with the shad as much either. I know it's an oilier fish. And maybe they just don't, maybe it's too bony or they just don't like it as much. I don't know. But yeah, I don't think we've had issues with sea lions ever with the shad, which is, I mean, you put salmon in your crab pot, they'll come from everywhere and clean your bait out immediately. So it's gone. And so a couple, I would say things you've got to have as a, as a crabber, um, rain pants, I think are mission critical. So even if it's not raining outside, you want to have those rubberized type pants because when you're pulling up the rings or pots, you're going to have that water coming in from the bay. Um, rain gear, I think, is probably essential too. Uh, Charlie, you've crabbed a few times in blue jeans. so uh, Almost every time. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll be soaking wet with all kinds of bait on him and by the time we get done. so Yeah, I don't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> It adds to the experience. It does. But, um, you know, let's say, you know, you don't want to invest the money to go out and uh, and rent a boat, but you could rent a boat for $100 probably, and you'd mm-hmm. have to have floats on all your traps and pots, um, and you're going to increase your likelihood of coming home with a decent amount of crab. We always get more crab than I want to eat. You know, I mean, I'm typically the only one in my my household that eats the crab, and so I don't need more than four to five keepers. I'm I'm content there, but... If I get my limit of 12, I'll give some to my neighbors or I'll find somebody that wants them. Mm. So, Yeah, and I think uh, so. as far as boat rentals go, um, I think most places you rent a boat from will come with a couple of crab rings if you don't 
have them already. Um, and then you can certainly bring your own. But when I've rented some, uh, they typically always come with crab rings. Yeah, so that could come with your boat rental. You could also go to a local bait shop and rent rings if you wanted to try that for mm-hmm. the first time before you invest and see if it's even something you enjoy. So let's say your first time you're out on the pier, and we're talking Yukoina Bay, because that's the most common place that people crab. Um, and you're out there. Uh, really, it's you need bait. You need those rings or traps, probably a five-gallon bucket. I mm-hmm. think another essential piece of gear would be gloves of some type, either latex disposable type gloves or some more permanent type gloves because you're going to be touching raw chicken or some pretty stinky fish or whatever you're using for bait. Um, zip ties has become our big friend in crabbing. So we use mm-hmm. the bait hooks and the bait cages and these things that you can put your you know, bait in. But zip ties are really handy to be able to just zip them down and secure that bait. These crabs, they get pretty voracious out there once they start chowing down on that bait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, zip ties are a must. I mean, the the bait hooks work really good, and they're, I don't know, they're cheap. They're probably 3 or $4. I mean, maybe they're 25 now with the way everything's gone up. But, I mean, they're super cheap, but... In addition to the bait hooks, it's nice to have a pack of zip ties for, and that works to, if you get a hole in your in your uh, crab ring or something, you can throw a zip tie in there to cover up the gap so you're not losing crab. So always have a pack of those with you for sure. Yeah, and a pocket knife or something to cut the zip ties with, or mm-hmm. a Leatherman, something that's got a cutting device on it, or a pair of pliers can be handy too. Um, I would say. Another thing, if you decide you want to invest in crabbing, and this is something we've always done that our dad taught us to do, is take care of your gear. So when you get done crabbing for the day, clean up your pots really nicely. We always just shake them off in the water, and then we take them to the cleaning station. We actually rinse them with fresh water and get all that salt off of those pots and traps so that you're just increasing the longevity of that pot or trap. Because if you just use it, put it away wet and dirty, that salt water on it it's they're just not going to last very long you're gonna have rust all over everything. oh yeah yeah so you definitely want to take care of your gear um another thing that we've kind of changed our mentality on now i still i'm fine either way on this but when we were younger we would always boil the crabs alive so we would bring them home cook up a big pot of boiling water with some seasoning or some salt in there and we'd boil them alive and then clean them and as we've gotten older we tend to clean the crabs first which mm-hmm. is getting all the guts and lungs and everything out of them and then putting them on ice, and then we cook them after they've been cleaned. I personally don't think it matters that much. Some guys say leaving the guts in will add a little bit more flavor if you cook them with guts in. I think it tastes the same either way. Yeah, I think the taste is much better if you clean them first, but I don't know. It's preference, I guess. What do you usually do with your crab meat when you get home, too? Oh, me? Well... Well, if I'm being fully truthful, I really don't like crab that much, the taste of it. I love to go crabbing. I love to catch crab. Um, so you give it away? A lot of times, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, there's a couple th- things that I like to do with it that I kind of – but I'm the same. Like, I'm mostly – I mean, Sarah will eat crab a little bit, but I have a limit and with how much crab I'm going to eat. But the – Probably my two favorite ways are um, or three. Either you, you cook it and you eat it fresh, just dipped in butter is really good. 
or you make crab cakes. That's probably my favorite. And then another thing I've started to do is make like a uh, a crab Benedict. Mm. Like the next day, you just get the lump crab meat, throw it on an English muffin, throw a poached egg on there, some hollandaise sauce. That's pretty good. That sounds good. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I like crab a lot, but I just can't eat that much of it because my body doesn't always like me when I do. And um, but I'll eat two or three fresh typically because I like them hot and fresh. I like to eat it hot. I don't like it. I, I don't mind it cold, but I prefer it hot. Yeah. And then I will make a big batch of crab cakes typically. And my wife loves the crab cakes, so she always we have kind of a go-to recipe with some breadcrumbs and celery and. There's an egg yolk in there, I think. There are a bunch of different things. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a great activity. Uh, you can do it at a low cost. It's fun for kids. It gets you outside. But like anything we talk about on here, you can go to Costco and buy four pounds of crab already out of the shelf for like 28 bucks. I think. It, might, it, it may vary with the season. Yeah. Now, it's not the same. It's not going to taste as good as it's not as fresh. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty darn close. But the point is, you do this stuff so that you can get out there and do something and have an experience, create a memory with your kids. And so I think you can, from an entry level, get into something outdoors. Crabbing is, I don't i don't know of an activity that's really cheaper than that. Yeah, for sure. There's, I mean, and it's not like when you do it, you're going to lose a bunch of gear. Like, uh, I can't really, uh, we've lost maybe one or two pots over the years, but that's a rarity. I mean, you don't really lose any gear with crabbing. So there's there's the initial cost of buying the stuff, and then it's that's pretty much it, you know? As long as you maintain it, it lasts for pretty much ever. Yeah, and our brother Alex kind of always cherried out our pots, and so he would put electrical tape over, um, you know, rusted areas, and, and he replaced all of our cord with paracord that... Which... Has held up a long time, but it definitely holds the moisture. Yeah, so we'll get you waterlogged. It's a little rough on the hands. It doesn't pair well with the blue jeans. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you definitely got some water flying with that stuff. But it's held up. I mean it holds up yeah. it holds up better than that cheap nylon yellow stuff for sure. Yeah. Let's hop back to uh, when you get your crab and um, you're gonna cook it. You want to cook this outside because it'll put a stank in your home. That'll last for days if you cook it in there. And if, you know, if you got a great uh, ventilation fan in your kitchen, okay, you can probably get it out of there. But if you have some sort of outdoor propane thing that you can cook your crabs on, I would highly recommend that. And that's another benefit. If you clean your crabs first, you're going to be able to fit a lot more into the pot because if you put them in whole, you can only get, I mean, unless you got a really big pot, you're only going to get a few crab cooked at once. So it's a long process. Yeah, the other thing, if you rent your boat, oftentimes the boat rental marina type places have a big, huge pot, and mm-hmm. you can have them cook all your crab. And I don't think they charge very much for that. Yeah, what it was like, gosh, I don't know, under 30 bucks for them to cook all those 48 crab. Yeah. And then you so, don't have to deal with the smells or the cleanup at home. That's the other thing. Your pots that you cook them in, even if you have gutted them first, they're going to be covered with this green kind of frothy residue that you're going to have to wash off of whatever you cooked them in, you know. 
Um, the other thing we didn't really talk about is how you identify the gender of the crab. And so you've got on the Dungeness side, you can only keep the males and that under flap on the underside of the crab on the male is long and skinnier than on the female. The female is short and kind of widened on, on the flap and it's really obvious. And again, we'll post some photos on that and actually Oregon department of fish and wildlife in the, the fishing synopsis, the back section in the nineties in those pages, they do a really good job of walking through how to identify the gender, Mm -hmm. how to measure the crab. So there shouldn't be any guesswork. Yeah. And I think a lot of the more, um, popular piers you go to to crab will have some sort of uh, poster up that shows you how to identify. But I mean, once you, somebody tells you at one time or you see a picture of it one time, there's no mistake in it. There's, I mean, there's no guesswork in it. But what's funny is I've been out there and you'll see guys with obvious females and they're putting it in their keep bucket and you're going, what are you doing? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. You're just like, it's very obvious. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something, I don't know what the, the fine is on that, but it definitely wouldn't be worth finding out, you know? Yeah. And the point for leaving the females is we want to keep the crab population going so that we can all enjoy this for years. I mean, we've been crabbing since we were probably little kids in the single digits mm-hmm. and that population is strong. Oh yeah. Yeah. There, I haven't really noticed any decline in it like with other fisheries. And we've always, you know, crabbed in the bay and estuaries. Um, but occasionally we've gone out, you know, say salmon fishing or rock fishing mm-hmm. and you see these big industrial crab pots that they throw out in the ocean and man, those ocean crab, they're huge. Oh yeah. They're so much bigger than the ones you get in the bays and they just look like so much cleaner and fresher. You're just like, man, I wish I had a boat that I could get out there. with. Yeah. So, yeah. But either way, I mean, it's, it's a great activity. I, I think it's a high, it's an interesting food. It's a really, I, I really enjoy the taste of crab. Um, but it's not something you want to do all the time, obviously. And the other thing to watch out for is these red tides or some of these mm-hmm. times where they close down shellfish harvesting. So you just want to make sure that there's nothing going on, some weird algae bloom or something. That, yeah. Whatever so, biotoxins or and they, like demoic acid or something like that. Yeah. They, so. I don't know. They typically post it pretty well if there is an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, uh, important, very important thing are the tides. So you gotta, especially if you're in a boat, like knowing, what the tides are doing because if you're out in that bay in a small boat and the tide starts shifting when you're not prepared for it, it can get pretty dicey out there. Um, I would say off the pier, it's not as important. You still need to be aware of it because if you're on one side of the pier and the tides shift, you're going to have a heck of a time getting your pots up because they're going to sink underneath that pier if the tide starts ripping out. Um, and that's a good way to lose a pot or a trap. So that's always something to keep in mind. So the only two times I remember losing pots or traps is one time my buddy, I had bought in Seth, uh, or, or no, we were using Seth, our brother Seth's trap, and it was this square trap. And uh, we were at the end of the pier, and he tosses it in without tying it off. So that's an easy way to lose it. Yeah. Got to tie it to the pier before you throw it in. And it was an outgoing tide. So it just, it was gone. (laughs) So then another time, uh, actually my college roommate 
in it was from Washington, and in Washington they crab off the jetties, and so we're like, well, let's try it. Let's get out there and give it a shot. So we threw these rings in first throw in they were all stuck on the bottom because our jetties are so rocky that and we couldn't get them far enough out past the rock that they were just totally stuck in the rocks and we tried and tried and tried and so what we decided to do was we anchored them to the shore and then we were like we'll wait for ties to shift and we'll come back and look for them and we found them but they were bent in half Mm. from the wave action yeah so learned the hard lesson there but so i mean you can occasionally get stuck we had one even in the bay uh, in the boat where it got stuck on something and we just could not oh, yeah. get it loose. And we found another boater with like a high end, you know, fast boat and they were able to tie it to their boat and pull it loose. But man, I thought their boat was going to go under as they were pulling and pulling on <laughs> that thing and they finally got it up. So it's, you know, the small vessel thing, the last time we went out, we kind of crabbed that incoming tide and that slack tide and then we dropped off the guys we were crabbing with, and they were going to start cleaning the crabs. And we went back to pull our last round of pots. And, I mean, it was squirrely when we were coming in. I mean, that tide was yeah. really starting to rip. And me and Charlie are in this, you know, 12 to 14-foot boat with that 10-horse motor on the back or so. And we were barely keeping up with the outgoing tide. Yeah, it took mm-hmm. a long time yeah. to get back. But we did. And, I mean, it's just always have a life jacket out there, you mm-hmm. know, and a whistle is a good idea. And there's enough other people out and about. My dad always said, you know, if your motor cuts or something and the tide was going out, try to get yourself onto the pier or whatever you got to do to not get sucked out past the jaws because then you're really in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I would stay starting out. I would try piers, you know, get kind of comfortable with that process before you get a boat because there's a lot more thought into the whole boating situation with you know packing all that you need and the tides and you got to be a lot more mindful it's not super difficult but i don't know i'd start with the pier and then go onto the boat for sure yeah and if you don't have any experience in a boat probably diving right into crabbing in a bay is a bit (laughs) you know maybe starting in a lake if you have no boating experience and just where the you know you're not dealing with tides and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. uh do you think we hit it all we cover everything I think so. Well, get out there and do it. If you have any questions, you can always email us at oapcrewquestions at gmail.com. All right, Charlie, thanks for coming out. Oh, yeah. 